Welcome back to another edition of Pot of Gold Extra Point, one like no other, with Carter Carls, another name insider for the South Bend Tribune. My name is Tom Noy, also another name insider for the South Bend Tribune. Talking today about Notre Dame and Clemson. Who would have thought? 47-40, double overtime, Notre Dame over 500 yards of offense, beating a number one team for the first time in 27 years. This show is so big, Carter Carls has lined up a special guest. Carter, take it away. I know. We, we, we got a guest for this one. Uh, I thought it was a, a special game, so we got a special guest in Jessica Smetana with Sports Illustrated and uh, does a lot of great work there, has a unique perspective going to Clemson her freshman year and then transferring to Notre Dame and graduating from there in 2016. Knows a lot about both programs historically and, and currently, obviously, and kept up with the game. So, Jessica, uh, my first question for you, uh, did you melt last night? Well, uh, what was it like watching that crazy ridiculousness of a game I don't even know what to call it first of all that was a very special intro for me I'm not sure if I deserved it but um yeah that game was it was like you said it was pretty crazy I just can't believe Notre Dame pulled it off like it took me a few hours I think overnight to process the fact that they really won it because of how crazy that it was kind of I guess you could call it a comeback in the fourth quarter Notre Dame was leading by 13 uh, for a a big portion of the game. They looked like they were in control in the first half, and then, you know, things kind of unraveled a little bit in the third quarter. And then that 91-yard drive that Ian Book led in the fourth quarter to tie it up was incredible and and honestly a little surprising because they they showed flashes of what I think people wanted this offense to look like all season that they hadn't quite gotten. And then um, I – did not expect Notre Dame to be able to score two touchdowns in overtime after struggling in the red zone the entire game. Um, but that's what they needed to do to pull off the victory, and they they got it done. So, yeah, I, I think it's safe to say I melted a little bit. I was very excited and very um, confused and, and relieved, I think. Okay, let's start with this. Notre Dame beats Clemson. Clemson hasn't lost in, like, nine years in a regular season. Actually, it was back in 2017. Notre Dame goes into the game ranked fourth. Clemson, obviously, number one. Where does Notre Dame go in the polls when the polls are released later this afternoon? I think Notre Dame is only going to go up one spot. I think Notre Dame will be three. Yeah, I don't think they're going to – I do. I really don't think they're going to go over Alabama or Ohio State. I I don't I don't not that I'm I'm saying that they sh- they shouldn't but I they won't I just I know the way that these things work and Notre Dame's going to get very little credit for winning this game against a backup quarterback even though like we should probably talk about DJ Uyunglele playing an amazing game but yeah I don't think they're gonna they're gonna hop over Alabama Ohio State I hope I'm wrong but it, it, enough of this stuff about how Notre Dame going in everybody was like throwing an asterisk at the at this game saying well yeah if Notre Dame wins. You always have to keep in mind that Trevor Lawrence didn't play. Trevor Lawrence is the Heisman Trophy front runner. He's going to be the first pick in the NFL draft. That backup quarterback is really good. Like, it's, they're not bringing some guy off the street that doesn't know how to play. DJ Uyunglele, like, seriously, 29 of 44 for 439 yards and two touchdowns. I know Trevor Lawrence is good, but that kid's just as good. Yeah, and I can tell you from a Clemson fan perspective, because I follow Clemson recruiting a bit also, um, 
I, I think Trevor Lawrence's recruitment got a lot of hype from outside of Clemson media circles um, four years ago when that happened. But DJ Uyunglele's recruitment was just as uh, exciting for Clemson fans last year or two years ago when that happened as Trevor Lawrence's. I think Clemson fans have been really, really excited about him for a while. And this isn't some scrub that they pulled off the bench. This is a five-star uh, freshman who, would, like Debo Sweeney said, probably would be starting at any other school if he wasn't playing behind Trevor Lawrence. So, And he's huge. Like He is hard to tackle. He's got an arm an unbelievable arm and there should not be an asterisk for Notre Dame and not to mention Notre Dame had to put together a defensive game plan with only one week of tape on this guy. They didn't know what kind of offense Clemson was going to bring and they were still able to shut down Travis Etienne and they were still able to contain uh, Uyunglele, although, you know, he did have a record breaking yardage against Notre Dame that I don't, I think he broke Carson Palmer's record in 2002 for um, offensive yards, but, He's not a scrub. He's very, very good. And Notre Dame was able to keep them uh, somewhat at bay and, and make them kick a lot of field goals, which ultimately was the difference maker, I think. Carter, speaking of quarterbacks, was this the defining moment for Ian Book? Like, finally, we, we, we finally get away from Ian Book can't do this, Ian Book can't do that. As, as Jessica mentioned, when everything seems like it's going against Notre Dame and it's like, here they go again in a big game, puts together that A-play 91-yard drive late in the game to, to, to get Notre Dame back into it. Is this the Ian Book's defining moment finally? It is. And, I, and I mean, honestly, I would say he's had multiple defining moments this season, even though it's not always looked great, even though the completion percentage or the yardage or whatever you want to look at sometimes isn't always that great when the when the chips are down when it matters the most he's making plays look at the last drive against louisville what he did and then look at the 91 yard drive and a mitten 26 seconds he had uh, last night i mean it was nearly flawless uh, he held his composure and think about how the game went for him he, he was a little up and down. Uh, he started off pretty hard, hot. Then he kind of fell off a little bit. Then he had the fumble in the end zone. Uh, and, you know, I think with the way the game had gone and the way Clemson came back, you know, you, you could have you totally seen them faltering at the last minute or, or it not going their way, starting at the nine-yard line with just a couple minutes to go. And he held his composure. Uh, drove them down the field, and then in overtime, two touchdowns in a row, you can't ask for a better performance. And he was delivering on third down. They're 10 and 19 third down. That's been a down for them that they've been really good at all year. So, again, when it matters, he's making the plays. And uh, I don't know. I just it, – it's, it's such a weird he, – he's such a polarizing quarterback because you have one section of the fan base that's like – Man, if only we had Phil Dracovic. <laughs> but you also are like, uh, he's 27-3 and three as a starter, and he's winning games, and he is doing it when it matters the most. So, I don't know, Jessica, how do you kind of feel about Ian Book, his career? Is he an all-time great Notre Dame quarterback? Is he having a good defense offensive line has that kind of helped him win all those games week schedule things like that or yeah I mean how do you just kind of assess the polarizing figure that is Ian Book 
Yeah, I I personally think that Notre Dame fans should feel really um, like happy and, and lucky to have Ian Book because he's not a quarterback that's going to throw for 300 yards every week and score three touchdowns, but he is so consistent and so reliable and his personality fits really well with this offense and with this team. And that's super important at Notre Dame because you can have an amazing five-star recruit quarterback at Notre Dame and it's, it might not work out because they might not be the right fit for this culture and this program. But Ian Book fits in perfectly with all of that. And I think one of the key moments last night was after he fumbled in the red zone, that could have been a turning point. And that in, I think a, you know, pre 2016 season would have been, not just a turning point for the game, but a turning point for the entire season. And things could have gotten off the rails very quickly after that. But he really picked his head up and got back in there and took some deep shots afterwards and wasn't afraid to make those runs again. Um, and there's a lot you can say about that. And and not every quarterback can do that. And that comes with experience. That comes with being in that position before um, and knowing that you're the type of player that knows the offense, knows the playbook, knows how to put the team on his back and win the game. Like we saw in the Virginia Tech game, um, either last season or the season before, I, I can't even remember at this point. But same thing, put the team on his back, scored the go-ahead running touchdown and uh, won the game. And he is capable of doing that. And that's you can't take that for granted. That's not something that you can, you know, necessarily teach a player. Um, so I personally am very happy to see Ian Book under center every week. I think that had uh, Notre Dame seen something in Phil Dracovic, he would have won that starting job. And I, as like media members and fans, like we just have to trust that they made the right call there and they saw something that like we might have not have seen. Um, so you can't really play that what could have been game like it just college football there's so many intricacies and in, in offenses and in players and in personnel and uh team culture and school culture that we just can't really all see but um ian book had a great game and he absolutely deserved the game ball like kelly gave him the game ball last night and um i i'm very happy for him because he finally got that signature win that i think he's been looking for for his entire career at notre dame speaking Another. of great games carter if I had said, okay, here are two running backs, two stat lines, 23 carries, 140 yards, three touchdowns, 18 carries, 28 yards, one touchdown. I'd say 98% of people would say, well, that first stat line would belong to Travis Etienne, and the second stat line would belong to Kyron Williams. But your man Kyron Williams was the best running back on the field last night. What a game. I mean – and I wrote about him in, in my post-game story. And, you know, the biggest thing is obviously what he does in and outside the tackles as a pass catcher, it's huge. But what he's done as a pass protector this year, it, it can't go unmentioned. I mean, let's remember the guy is like 19 years old, true fret, or a redshirt freshman, uh, didn't see the field at all last year. A lot of young running backs, you know, they can see the field with their speed or – they, they could see the field with just their true athleticism. A lot of times the two things that, that really hurt young running backs are vision and pass protection. And, man, his vision and pass protection are incredible right now. I mean, he is playing at a high level. That's what stood out to me. Notre Dame got really pass heavy there in that fourth quarter. Uh, they threw their last 17 plays, 15 of them were passes. I think they had 11 straight passes in a row. A lot of complaints from, from certain people about that, but uh, a reason why they were able to kind of get through that and why 
Ian Book was not sacked after the second quarter was because Kyron Williams was so effective in pass protection. So obviously the 65-yard touchdown, the two three-yard touchdowns, those, those things were huge. But what he was doing, picking up blitzers, uh, holding his own against safeties and defensive ends and linebackers, like that just can't go unmentioned. That was my biggest takeaway from this whole night. Jessica, as you're watching that game, as a, as a Notre Dame graduate, as a Notre Dame fan, are you saying feed him, feed Kyron Williams the ball even more? There was one drive there late in the thir- late in the fourth quarter where Notre Dame had three straight passing plays. They gained like minus five yards, and it was almost like they they, they tried to maybe outthink themselves a little too much, getting away from the run game, getting away from Kyron Williams and arguably the the the, the best offensive line in college football to throw the ball. Yeah, that was a that was probably the most frustrating stretch of the game because it seemed like Notre Dame had a lot going for them, and then uh, in the in the power run game, I would say, and then kind of started to get away from that. And I'm, I'm not sure why that is. It might just be a series of of looks that they didn't like from Venable's defense or whatever it is. But just echoing what Carter said. Um, Kyron Williams game last night is the type of game that makes running backs a lot of money in the NFL. So I think that is going to be on his scout tape in a year or two years when he tries to go pro, because if you want to be a successful running back uh, in the NFL, those are the things that you need to do. And it's, it's pretty rare to see that out of a 19 year old, uh, you know, redshirt freshman uh, running back. And he proved that he is a pretty uh, useful player on the field in, in more ways than one. And yeah, I, like you said, Tom, I, I was very confused by the getting away from the run game a little bit, but um, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the type of thing that I would like to ask Tommy Reese about after the game. And maybe someone did and I missed it, but I, whoa, it, whoa, it seemed like whoa, they whoa. had a good thing going. Wait, wait a minute. You're actually, you actually think, we're allowed to talk to a coordinator at the University of Notre Dame after a football game? Yeah, my bad. I, I shouldn't have assumed that, obviously. I, I don't know what I was thinking. But. Well, Clemson did. They, they were able. And, and, and for the record, it's, it has been – not that I'm counting or anything, but it has been 15 months since we've talked to an offensive or defensive coordinator or even even assistant coach at Notre Dame because of coronavirus and everything. Yeah, uh, Offense or uh, assistant coaches are not made available to the media before or after football games these days. Jessica, that is wild, but yeah. I'm going to cut you off because I want to ask you about Tommy Reese because I, when he got hired, it was like, what is Notre Dame doing? Like, at least some people thought that. Other people thought, oh, well, the continuity, you know, he's the quarterback's coach, great relationship with Ian Book. Other people were like, uh, he's young, you know, the, the classic, he's Brian Kelly's friend kind of line, didn't want to go outside the box. There, there's like a lot of different ways to look at it. And I think you look at the offense now and you see these great moments where they're just mauling guys with their offensive line. Uh, they're overpowering teams. They're, they're controlling the game flow, the time of possession. But then you see times like the fourth quarter where it's 11 straight passes, you're going away from the run. and it's like, what's happening? What do you feel overall how that hire has been? If Tommy Reese has mostly been pretty good, exceeded expectations, or just where he's kind of lived up for you? I think he's definitely exceeded expectations. I don't think prior to the season, many Notre Dame fans thought Notre Dame would beat Clemson. I mean, we're a pretty pessimistic pessimistic bunch of, of people. Um, even like during the fourth quarter last night, I was doom and gloom. But um, 
I, Tommy Reese, like, I'm not going to say he's inexperienced, I, but I will say it is his first year as the offensive coordinator. So maybe that's something that he works on and becomes part of his uh, learning experience in this. But he's done a lot with this offense with a pretty mediocre, um, and I know that sounds harsh, but this group of wide receivers is, is probably below the Notre Dame average, which is not even close to like the SEC, like Alabama, Georgia level wide receivers that we uh, Notre Dame tends to play against in Clemson. Um, like there's not a T Higgins or a Justin Ross this year. There's not even a Chase Claypool or, you know, um, I, I don't, I can't even name another Notre Dame wide receiver. Like there's not even a Chris Fink this year. Like they're putting together uh, offense with, um, players that are not the typical Notre Dame wide receiver core. And that's really hard. And I think he should get credit for making it work and being able to score a lot of points with that. Um, I think other than the Louisville game, Notre Dame has scored a lot of points this season. That was definitely the, the below, much below the average um, in terms of offensive point production. But uh, yeah, I think, I think right now you have to be happy with the Tommy Reese hire because Seven and zero is kind of speaks for itself. So Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek and Avery Davis aren't going to play on Sundays. I mean, I think they'd have oh, to have a pretty yeah. good uh, second half of the season for that to be the case. <laughs> Ooh, that's a nice dodge there, Jessica. <laughs> no, there's always uh, room for improvement. Yeah, for sure. I what stood out to me about the game. Uh, just as a chaotic human being, the chaos, the, the weirdness of uh, the replay reviews. I mean, it got to a point where they're reviewing a review. I mean, I, I don't even know what was going on there. They had like back-to-back reviews reviewing the previous review. Part of the game was on USA Network because President-elect Joe Biden was, was giving a speech on NBC or NBC was cutting away to it. Um, you have a top, the first number one uh, team coming to Notre Dame Stadium since 2005, and only 11,000 fans c- can go there. Uh, just, just like when you think about all these things in retrospect, 72 degrees in November in South Bend. I mean, I feel like I'm just thinking of all these random things that were weird about the game. What stood out to you, Jessica, about uh, through all that weirdness. And then I also want to ask you about the, the crowd storming at the end and just how you felt about that. Because I feel like a lot of people will say, well, it, you beat number one, like let's have fun. But another group of people will say, well, we're in a pandemic and that's, that's pretty yikes. So yeah. How did, how did you kind of uh, leave that thinking? And well, in terms of the, chaos and havoc of last night I think you're forgetting the group of people who turned on NBC at 11:30 to watch Dave Chappelle on SNL and then were confused that there was a football game happening I don't know if you saw people tweeting about like who the hell is this Dabo guy and why am I watching him and not Dave Chappelle right now because that was hysterical um but yeah I mean the reviews were weird they reviewed a review in in overtime which I didn't even think you could do it was a long game and overtime aside it was already long before overtime started and the USA network switch was hilarious um I think no matter what this game kind of goes down in the in the Notre Dame history books just for how strange it was and that it took place on a pretty like historic day in America I would say um but yeah the the so to answer the second part of your question, I thought the field storming was a really bad look because I, I've spoken to a few Notre Dame students about it. 
some of them said that they waited in the stands because they didn't want to do it and they felt that it was hypocritical because the student body was so critical of uh, Father Jenkins when he got COVID at the, at the White House uh, Rose Garden event. Um, some other students were like, we've had a really hard semester and like, it's been really tough. Two students died two weeks ago. Another one was critically injured. Um, they've been under intense restrictions all season or all semester. Um, finals are coming up. They have an accelerated course load. There's just a ton of, a ton of stress on students this semester. Um, and a lot of them felt like this was finally a moment where they could kind of let go and, and celebrate and be happy. And, Look, I think it's really easy to to point fingers all around, uh, whether it's at the administration for not making it clear that the field storming would be uh, unacceptable and that they shouldn't do that, or on the students themselves for thinking that they should know better. But like we've gotten to this point in not just in this uh, football season, but also just like in this pandemic where there are things happening every day that like probably we just like shouldn't be doing because there's just rampant infection levels all over America. Um, college football is one of them. And so is uh, having students on campus. And so it was inevitable given those circumstances. And I don't, I don't really know who you want to point fingers at because I think there's a number of people who you can blame, but um, I do understand why students did it. I completely understand why students did it. And I completely understand why it's just a totally bad look for the student body in the university. Jessica, you're only four years removed from being a student at Notre Dame. If you're in the stands last night, are you running down and tumbling onto the field or are you making a left turn and going out uh, exit 24 and going back to the dorm after that one? I have no idea what I would do if I was a student. I've tried to ask myself this question all year long, just in terms of going back to campus for college this semester too, because like you said, I'm only four years out of college and I can very easily put myself back in the mindset of a 22 year old or a 21 year old um, who absolutely loved going to Notre Dame and loved being with my friends there and loved going to my classes there and would have felt sick not being on campus while everyone else was there. Um, it's just such a difficult decision for someone who's young and has so many emotions on the line to make. So I totally empathize with the confusing mixed signals and like mixed emotions and maybe thinking that you should know better, but knowing that you don't care in the moment. Um, I have absolutely no idea what I would have done had I been there, especially it being a number four versus a number one against my, you know, Clemson where I spent my freshman year. Like there would be so many confusing emotions running through my head that I cannot say I honestly know what I would do if I were in the stands last night. We're talking Notre Dame 47, Clemson 40. Number one or number four Notre Dame beats number one Clemson Saturday night at Notre Dame Stadium. Double overtime. We'll pick up this conversation. But first a word from ND insider Tyler James about Coors Light. We all need a moment to chill out these days, right? How do you hit the reset button? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. These days, it's all go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. It doesn't matter what team or what sport is playing. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team to drink beer. So flip through the channels, find a sport, and crack open a Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, a perfect moment to chill out. When you need to unwind, make sure your refrigerator is stocked up with Coors Light. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Back on the Pot of Gold Extra Point podcast, 
talking Notre Dame, talking Clemson. Yeah, Carter, I want to get back to your point about that being such a weird game. I covered the – now I'm going to show – we're talking about how Jessica's four years removed from, from being a college student. I'm going to show you how old I am. I covered the 93 Florida State-Notre Dame game. I was uh, watched TV on uh, watched the game on TV in 2005. Notre Dame USC. Both those games had like build up to it, that like the the up to the the climax of the game, the conclusion. This one, because of all the replays and the and the reviews and this, is it a catch? Is it a fumble? Is it a touchdown? This one, it, it just kind of sort of ended where it was like, wait a minute, it's over. Like it, it was it, it was a and, and Notre Dame's biggest win in 27 years. It, it was just a it was a bizarre night all the way around. It was a bizarre night and it was a bizarre week. Not gonna weigh in on politics, but you objectively it was a weird, weird week. It was a week where you weren't really thinking about football. You weren't really focused on this. So when you played this game, it was it's kinda like there wasn't like this was a game that had been talked about since December, but the focus had been off there a little bit. Um, and obviously the players did not uh, practice on Tuesday uh, because it was voting day. It was election day. So, you know, even them, they had, they had other things to focus on this week. And so then the game happens and you're right. The way it ended uh, was weird. One thing I also want to mention that was a weird part of the game. I don't know if Notre Dame wins that game without Mike Elston. I, I don't know how many people noticed this, but there was a critical part in the game after on Clemson's last uh, offensive drive and in, in regulation uh, right before Notre Dame went 91 yards down the field. They had a second and 10 that I believe they ran for no gain and had a holding penalty called. And Brian Kelly initially accepted the penalty. And then Mike Elson, who's the associate head coach, defensive line coach at Notre Dame, you can see him on the TV broadcast come running over to Brian Kelly and saying, hey, wait a second, I don't know if we should be accepting this because they'll be able to run extra clock off. Um, and, you know, he ends up changing his mind. He says, hey, guys, by the way, I was joking. Uh, I want to decline or I want to decline this penalty. And then it afforded Notre Dame enough time, just enough time to go down the field. So if Mike Elson – doesn't do that. Does Notre Dame have enough time to go 91 yards down the field? Like what ends up happening? I, I don't know. I just, I thought that was a really weird moment of the game. As for the energy. Uh, yeah. It was kind of like a weird way for it to end with all the reviews, but you still saw the energy with, with the field storming, the players, they had like this crazy dance party in the locker room. Uh, I've never seen Kyle Hamilton that happy in my life. Like there were all these videos of him just like screaming and grabbing and throwing people around like rag dolls. I thought it was hysterical. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought, you know, while it might've been weird for the fans, I don't think the people that were there or the people that were on the team, I don't think it took any thing away from them. You mentioned Mike Elston and the, the assist that he gave Brian Kelly, but how impressive was that defensive effort where Clemson comes to town and they leave having only rushed for 34 yards. I mean, that was huge. I don't think you can give Clark Lee enough credit for 
um, that game plan. They made DJ Uyunglele have to win the game with his arm and not rely on Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne, I don't know if you guys watch a lot of Clemson games. I, I do. He is an explosive runner. Like He could look like he's going to have about you know a four-yard gain and get tackled, and then out of nowhere, he breaks through. Uh, the defense and score is like a 40-yard touchdown. Like, that's the type of explosiveness that Notre Dame needed to contain last night, and they were absolutely able to do that. And Travis Etienne, like, you almost forgot that he was on the field later in the game because he was just not a factor at all. Um, and Amari Rogers and uh, Cornell Powell are, are really good receivers, but they're not Justin Ross and T. Higgins. And so um, even their gains uh, on the offense were were not enough to – run the score up like we kind of saw in the Cotton Bowl two years ago um, with Trevor Lawrence and and those guys. But I think you just have to give Clark Lee so much credit. And almost like you hate to give him all the credit because it, it might not bode well for Notre Dame uh, down the line when the uh, other head coaching position vacancies come calling. But it was pretty impressive. Impressive. And, I mean, Clem- we, we talked about how impressive Notre Dame's defense was. Clemson did gain 473 yards. But Carter, that, that defense, especially your man, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, that was a pretty good effort last night. Yeah, again, I mean, we, we talked about this with Ian Book. What do you do during critical moments? What do you, how do you rise to the occasion? And you look at the overtime periods last night. Dalen Hayes, Adeogandeji, two guys who up until last week the production wasn't crazy in terms of sacks, in terms of, uh, you know, per game stuff. Um, but, you know, Dalen Hayes really started to come on last week. And, man, what a sack that he had in that double overtime period. I mean, he just swarmed DJ Uyagalele on that play. But, you know, what a huge moment for both of those guys uh, as defensive ends. And then, you know, you think of where Jeremiah Wusukoromoa came up. Uh, having forcing two turnovers, having a touchdown. This defense, you know, I think it got exposed in some areas. I think DJ Uyagale really wow. took advantage of, of Notre Dame's field cornerback situation. I, th- yeah. I think he was going to the wide side of the field uh, quite a bit uh, during the day, and, and certainly a lot of chunk plays, had a lot of, had a lot of passes, big plays downfield. So that'll be something that Notre Dame's defense is going to have to work on. But the run defense, the turnovers, and how they showed up when it mattered, when they were probably exhausted. I mean, after playing a double overtime game and all the emotions that were involved, they had to be exhausted, and they showed up, and I think that's what matters the most. Jessica, your defensive takeaways? Um, I just I want to go back to something uh, Carter was talking about a few questions ago, which was like the weird officiating. We haven't talked about that DPI flag that got picked up yet that Dabo yelled at the ref. And then it looked like he picked up the flag right afterwards. And I know that's not uh, answering your question, but I just think we need to mention how truly bizarre that whole sequence was. And that almost decided the game too. And if, if that defensive pass interference occurs on the opposite sideline, you think they pick up the flag? I mean, it's 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 almost like Dabo Sweeney convinced them. Hey, that's not you. You can't you can't throw that flag. And they would said, Hey, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Let's pick that thing up. 
I, I was making a joke earlier that I hope Terry McCauley bills by the minute because he's getting a new yacht today. He, he got so much screen time last night trying to explain some of those calls. Um, he was, there was a lot of Terry McCauley on the screen, which is not good if you're, <laughs> if you're a football fan. <laughs> I, know, I know they want to get it right, and that's why they go to replay and all that other stuff. But, man, it just kills any momentum or any emotion that's trying to build in that game. When oh what well, uh, the previous play is under review and you just sit there and you wait and you wait okay let's go back and play and then another review and another review I know they want to get it right but man replays sometimes that's hard to take I was in agony there was at one point where I was just like maniacally laughing I just thought this has to be a joke like we're being played right now there's no way these guys can be serious with this. And, and I don't the, like using officials as excuses. I don't like to say, oh, we would have won the game if this happened, that kind of thing. But that was a joke. That was an embarrassment. And there needs to be, there needs to be some sort of, like, I don't, I don't know. There needs to be some sort of repercussions for those guys, at least a spanking or a, a harsh <laughs> yelling from from their bosses because I mean that was embarrassing it was a joke there was one point where I think a lot of people tuned in at the same time because the game was going pretty late and it looked really close and there were I think Bill Connolly tweeted that there were three snaps in the span of 16 minutes um, and this was when people were tuning in trying to catch SNL and probably were wondering like, what on earth is going on? Like, is this even a football game? What's happening? They're just, they've just been like caucusing for 20 minutes on this stupid touchdown call. They were giving Dave Chappelle a lot of material. That's for sure. Jessica, one, one more question for you. I know we're about to wrap up, uh, but Clemson, does this like does this loss even mean that much for them? Because they control their own destiny, and you get Trevor Lawrence back. Is this not really that big of a deal, or, or how how does Clemson feel about this? Yeah, so I think I have a few friends that still go to Clemson, and I'm pretty keyed into their you know online Twitter uh, Twitter universe. So what I can tell is that they're really bummed that this 36 regular. 36 game regular season winning streak is coming to a close and um, trying to kind of like not make excuses, but kind of downplay it by saying, you know, like our, a lot of our linebackers were banged up. Trevor Lawrence was out like, eh. but from a lot of my more honest friends, they are telling me that um, Clemson just hasn't played that well all season. Um, like last weekend, everyone kind of blamed Trevor Lawrence on that close game against Boston College, but their defense wasn't that very good either. Um, so I think people are a little confused and, and trying to like talk their way out of it. But like ultimately, Clemson fans are very, very bummed um, because they're used to winning these games. Uh, they've won a lot of them, and I don't think anyone is happy to to lose, and especially in double overtime when it was so close in the fourth quarter. Jessica, great stuff. Carter's Zoom time is up, so we got to run. Really appreciate you copping on with us. Go get some sleep, and Notre Dame finally does it, 47-40, double overtime against Clemson. Great talking with you. Thanks for having me. You got it. Carter, that'll take care of it. We'll talk again on Sunday. Next Sunday, Boston College, Notre Dame from Chestnut Hill. We'll see you.